0: Welcome to the Gal's Guide to the Galaxy podcast, where a group of gals gather for you one cool thing around our topic of the month. Is it ancient history? Is it breaking news? Is it safe for work? Well that's up to each gal. All we know is that fasten your seat belts. It's going to be a bumpy night. welcome back i am leah and i am joined by bonnie and katie and claire and we are talking about our one cool activist gal uh so bonnie already talked about women's rights activists in saudi arabia dun 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 getting those driver's license it's amazing uh, but before we dive back in how about we get to know something random about our gal pals? So, my question that I have for you, lovely ladies, is what activist do you follow or admire most? And yes, it can be an organization as well. And yes, it can be male or female. Dun dun dun. <laughs> Well,
1: I wanted you to say we have to drive into this question. We
0: have to drive right into this question. Oh, we that would have been great. Right exactly. I like there how you're is.
1: steering the conversation.
2: <laughs> but I
0: love you all.
1: <laughs> I can go first, though. Contact um, Do it. It's really hard because we've talked about so many amazing women on this podcast, and I've learned so much from all of you. Um, but when I covered Angela Davis and yes. learned about her and what a badass she is, Just a huge inspiration to me because I'm like kind of the opposite of a badass.
0: (laughs) You're a badass in your own way. My own wimpy way. No, you're not wimpy. (laughs) You you fight for different things than Angela Davis fought for. But you are still, you are a fighter girl. You are a survivor. You are every Christina Aguilera lyric that I'm forgetting right (laughs) now.
1: (laughs) But she's amazing. So that would be my person. Well, since you... Oh, yes. Sorry. What did you want to go? Okay. I was going to say because (laughs) you said I could do an
2: organization and it could be a man or a woman. And so I'm going to be very inclusive and have everyone. And my organization that I follow on Instagram is called the Transformation Project. And so their handle is just SD Transform Proj. So P R O J. And there's a lot of discrimination against transgender people and two-spirit and non-binary people in South Dakota. And so they need to have an advocacy network and they will do different events and work on organizing people to contact legislature. And they bring up so many issues that if I wasn't following them, I wouldn't be aware these attacks are happening on such Mm -hmm. people that are typically disenfranchised or unempowered and so it's a great way to be aware of issues that are important and pertinent mm. and happening right now yeah
0: oh yeah. i love it yeah so Sweet. transformation project <laughs> exactly yes and i will put that in the show notes you've got a direct link people to go and support as well you don't need to be in south dakota to totally support so i love that
3: perfect
0: Bonnie, what about you, darling?
3: I was gonna say, I guess that makes me next. Um,
0: (laughs) Yes, that's what my little Zoom squares tell me.
3: (laughs) I feel like I don't have like a great like unknown thing. How about a known thing? (laughs) Um, Since I just did all that research and I was trying to like look up with all the stuff with the Afghan women, and I was trying to look of who. Malala suggests that you donate to it causes and stuff. So like, I always love Malala Yousafzai, Mm -hmm. super amazing. And I am waiting for her to be the next prime minister of Pakistan.
0: Yes, Um, Uh, I will shamelessly plug that the library does have the Malala book club selection books that she picks every month. Um, So we do have those available for lending amazing choices that she does you know fiction non-fiction um she mixes it up you know uh entertaining light and then heavy serious and political and um I love her choices and so yeah she's she's been one to watch but yeah she's gonna take it over it all <laughs> I'm cool with that. <laughs> Sweet. Um, mine is the Dalai Lama. I kind of feel like that's like too easy of a choice, only because I've been Buddhist for the last thirty years. But it's the Dalai Lama. It's who I've been following, and who, in you know, dark times, it's like ah, let me just watch a Dalai Lama video. I mean. That dude makes me smile. I've seen him in person three times. I've been fortunate enough to actually go and see him. And that's because I make an effort to as well. Anytime that he is nearby, he does not travel that often, but he just has this face that when you see him, you smile. (laughs) And so I just absolutely admire that because he is an activist at the end of the day. Um, His activism is for compassion and peace. So, you know, it's, it's the lighter side, if you will, of activism, where it's like, who doesn't agree with that? Well, China. Because um, so, he's been a. <laughs> Bonnie, Bonnie is spitting out her beverage right now. Because he has been a refugee from the Chinese government <laughs> since 1945. So, yeah. So, not nah, everybody's down with the peace and love of the dog. <laughs> this lady also makes me smile. Um, she's actually, she's really a badass. Okay. All right. So let me do this. So this woman, she's somebody I've been wanting to talk about on the podcast, like for a really long time, she fits into a lot of the research topics that we do, but I'm always like, Oh, I'll just wait. I'll just wait. All right. So my lady, before I tell you her name, here's what she did. She won the presidential medal of freedom. Gloria Steinem said that if our country was more fair, she would have been president of the United States. She was one of the native peoples who reclaimed and occupied Alcatraz Island for 19 months. Oh, and she was also the first female chief of the Cherokee Nation. Has anybody ever heard of Wilma Mankiller? Yes. Yes. All right. So I'm thinking Claire and Kate are new to the Mankiller family. (laughs) Don't worry. I will tell you all about this amazing lady. But yes, but Bonnie, you're a fan. Yes,
3: I'm a fan. I'm a fan of her work and a fan of like her name. Of her name. You <laughs> can <laughs> every time. Exactly. You know, <laughs> us feminist man haters.
0: I will say her book in the library is amazing because on the side of it, in huge font is just man killer. <laughs> it looks gorgeous in a is women's history a- library.
2: Is that a good book to read when you're like on public transport and you just
0: don't want people to talk to you? They will have no idea of the amazingness that is in the page. And that's not about killing men, ironically, but I think the title will give you some extra space on the subway. (laughs) But, okay. So uh, Wilma is fascinating. She's super smart. She's wonderfully tenacious and she's just like eloquent as shit. So sorry, I had to put eloquent and shit like in the same sentence because it was funny. I will not have enough time to tell you about her whole life. So for those of you who know, consider this to be an introduction. Please don't email me. Introduction to a woman who I think more and more people should uh, to learn about. I think she should be taught in school. Um, So many elements of her life are utterly fascinating. So I'm going to speed through some of it. But I'm going to give you enough to kind of like paint a picture of this amazing woman. So she was born in Oklahoma in 1945. And to give you a tiny bit of context of what we're talking about with Native Americans in 1945 is that Native Americans were not actually considered full citizens of the United States until 1925. Besides the fact that they were here first. (laughs) I was going to say, Dibs doesn't... Dibs did not not count. No. Calling shotgun? No, didn't work either. No, not at all. Uh, So we're only 20 years into the government actually recognizing Native Americans as like people when uh, when Wilma was born. So that's kind of where we're at. It's not a great place. It's a one step into progress, if you will. Now, her dad's name is Charlie Mankiller. She comes from a whole big line of man killers. (laughs) Uh, Her dad is 100% Cherokee and her mother, Claire, was Dutch Irish. Look at that. So she comes from mixed ancestry. Um, The man killer family had 11 little man killers. I'm getting all the man killer lines like in now because later I won't really be using it as much. But 11 kids, they were raised in uh, Cherokee culture and Wilma was the middle child. She was born sixth out of the 11, uh, the Mankiller family grew up in the Rocky mountains in a house that they built themselves. They had no running water. They had no electricity. They lived off the land and they were surrounded by nature and they were happy. <laughs> they had everything they needed. They sold what they didn't need to others who did need it. You know what I mean? Like plants and labor and uh, and things like that. And they worked off the land. They were doing fine. <laughs> but when Wilma was 11 years old, the government came in and talks of relocation began. Now, the man killer family was no stranger to this because their ancestors were moved out of Tennessee over the Trail of Tears in the 1830s. So it's kind of like uh, they've seen this movie before, <laughs> but this time in Oklahoma, there was oil in them, their hills. And so their land was deemed more valuable to businesses who had government friends and those people convinced the native americans that it was better for them to go live a better glorious life in san francisco the glorious seven mile radius island the teeny tiny island of san francisco i lived there for a little bit that's why i call it tiny so wilma and her family moved from their uh no running water uh, from living off the land to the housing projects in San Francisco. And there was no better jobs and there was no better housing that was for them either. Uh, What was there though, was this glorious influx of activism that was happening in San Francisco. Now she was there in the 60s when like all the stuff was happening and hate Ashbury and the Hells Angels and Rolling Stones, sorry, I'm gonna have too many music references, but a whole bunch of stuff was going down. So we had in the sixties, not just to San Francisco worldwide, you had the civil rights movement, you had the Latino farm workers movement, the women's liberation front. Uh, There was also native people talking about tribal land laws as well. So there was a group called the Indians of All Tribes. And they uh, started taking serious action when in San Francisco, the Indian Center was burned down to the ground and no one seemed to care that they didn't have an Indian Center anymore. So in reaction to this, uh, the Indians of All Tribes cited a treaty that was written in 1868 that said, and I quote, All unused federal lands must be returned to Indian use. Mm. Well, nobody was using Alcatraz at the time. (laughs) Alcatraz shut down in 61. It was just sitting there. (laughs) Mm. Federal property. So they decided to go the legal way and lobby for that to be the new Indian center in San Francisco. Um, But after three years of not being listened to and kind of being dicked around by it, uh, a group of 89 men, women, and children arrived on Alcatraz Island in the cover of night, November 20th, 1969. They stayed on the Island for 19 months (laughs) and occupied it. Jane Fonda came to visit them (laughs) and Clearden's Clearwater Revival uh, donated a boat (laughs) so they could get supplies to and from the island so pretty nice huh (laughs) so when Wilma Wilma said when Alcatraz occurred occurred there we go words um, I became more aware of what needed to be done to let the rest of the world know that Indians had rights too so that event really radicalized her really gave her like a reason to be like, oh, hells no, 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 this isn't, this isn't cool anymore. (laughs) Like we're going to go get some stuff done now. Um, So I'm going to have to fast forward a little bit because Wilma got married Started a family, buried her father, went to college, worked at Indian centers across the country, got divorced, moved back to Oklahoma, moved to a Cherokee reservation, and then almost died in a car accident. (laughs) These are the things that I need to fast forward through to get to the more juicy parts of her life. I mean, she's just like nonstop um, interesting what happens to her. Um, But the car accident was horrible. It was two cars in a head-on collision coming at each other, and they were best friends. They knew each other. Yeah. The other woman in the car did not survive, and Wilma almost didn't. They thought she would never walk again. Um, she had life debilitating you know, illnesses and, and pains from that car accident for the rest of her life, but she did survive. Um, Now, the weird thing was, though, and she said this in an interview, she never again had a fear of death like that. She's like, I survived that. I'm not scared of dying anymore. I will tell you that a woman who's not scared of dying is a very powerful woman. Mm. (laughs) She is very dangerous, Mama Bear, that you don't want to mess with. (laughs) So it was it was horrifying, was terrible to happen to her, but it was another Awakening in a series of awakenings in Wilma's life. So enter the Bell Project. So now the Bell Project, um, Chief Swimmer, which of course I have um I have David Swimmer in my head every time I say Chief Swimmer. I'm so sorry, it's Ross from Friends. Like every time I say Chief Swimmer, I just picture Ross. But Chief Swimmer, <laughs> he asked Wilma if she would help develop a community center to 350 Cherokee who had few jobs and had absolutely no running water in the area that they were in. Um, She did not come in there to tell the people what they needed. She didn't go in there like anybody else probably would have done and saw 350 people and be like, you need this, you need this, you need this and you will thrive and survive and all that. Instead, she sat down with them for months and said, what do you need? Because they had been living. They, when somebody would catch a fish, they would make sure that they had enough for everybody. If somebody had extra blankets, they would share them. If they had extra wood, you know what I mean? That they could cut down for fires, they would. They were surviving, just not well. So she listened to them and she said, "quote I had an abiding faith in the ability of the Cherokee people to solve their own problems. So it's like, okay, cool, cool, cool. What else can I do? How can I, you know? How can we bring this to the next level? So after a year of listening to them, the decision was made that the best help was to set up running water. That was something that they could really use help with. So they took two years to write lots of grants. I know Bonnie will love this. Grant writing is very important, right, Bonnie? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, They also had teams of people who rotated in, so they didn't get exhausted. But they built 16 miles of water lines by themselves, for themselves. Um, And Chief Swimmer, once again, Ross from Friends, um, when he ran for re-election as chief of the Cherokee people, he asked Wilma if she would be his running mate. This was really actually kind of weird on a variety of different reasons. So he was a Republican and she was a Democrat. So that was weird right there. I mean, you've also got the whole you know, male and female thing. Um, but the weird thing was, is that the big problem wasn't that she was a Democrat and he was a Republican. People could not handle that Wilma was a woman. That was the big problem. And it shocked Wilma to her core. So I watched this interview with her and I'll put it in the show notes too. It's called Upon Reflection. It's a very, very 1993 kind of show. Like it's horrible, but the interview is really, really good. And you get to see Wilma, you know, talk about her life. And she really said um, the big issue was not her politics. It was not her activism and things that she did, you know, with Alcatraz and, you know what I mean, with other uh, reservations. It wasn't even her beliefs. You know what I mean? It was only the fact that she was a woman. That was the only problem people had with her. And she's like, cool, because guess what? The one thing I'm not changing is Um, she said that that fact was the lowest point in her life, having to deal with sexism. That was the lowest part. Uh, She got death threats, y'all, like scary phone calls when the person on the other line is loading a gun. That's all she would hear. Uh, There was a parade that she was walking in and she caught the eyes of a young man in the crowd who was mimicking his hand like a gun and pointing it at her. Yeah, so it was terrifying, but she and Swimmer somehow won by a little tiny bit um in 1983 to be chief of the Cherokee nation um and I don't actually know what her position I can't remember it's not like assistant it's not vice president you know there's another um uh title that is the running mate but during that time she worked on the divide between full bloods and mixed bloods so there was very much this I'm full blood Cherokee And I'm, you know what I mean? And then people who are not and a very much a divide between those two. She worked on ways to expand the Cherokee Heritage Center to give a place for all. And she worked on the Institute for Cherokee uh, Literacy. She worked on preserving the language. She honestly did not care if you were half blood or if you were full blood. If you were preserving the heritage and the culture, uh, the ceremony and the art, she knew that at the bottom, you know, of the or at the end of the day, that was the most important thing to her people because they were one of the few that actually still had their language right and their ceremony. So, um, so after those two years of a very narrow victory, Chief Swimmer decided to step down. He just said, "I'm done." Wilma, you're in charge. <laughs> so on that very unceremonious note, she became the first female chief of the Cherokee people. <laughs> it's gotta feel weird when you didn't really like earn it. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, thanks. <laughs> now people are really gonna come after me and stuff. Um, so yay. Uh, but the great thing was, is she ran for reelection as the main ticket in 1987, and she won by 56% of the vote. So still, you know what I mean? Like above, you know, narrowly getting it, but she won it on her own. Then she ran for reelection again in 1991. What do you think her percentage of the vote was? Any guesses? She was 52, she was, yeah, like 51% the first time, 56 the second time. What do you think the third one was? 54. 54. I didn't say she went up. They realized she's so? a
1: badass. And we're right. like the 70s. I'm, I'm on 70s. Katie's side. I
0: hope it went up too. How about, Oculus. how does 82% feel? Ooh. 82%. So in that small time frame, you know what I mean? Of, I don't, we don't want no woman. <laughs> To 82% of Wilma's got the job. You know what I mean? Don't let anybody else have the job. It's definitely Wilma's job. Uh, that's pretty fast. Yeah. <laughs> um, she decided not to run again that next uh route for various reasons. Some of them were health reasons, other ones uh, I'm gonna talk about a tiny bit later. But I could talk about her politics. I could talk about her second marriage to Charlie Soap. I just she, she went from a man killer to a soap. <sighs> I love these last names. I really love Anyway, I could talk about her her health issues. I could talk about her four clinics that she set up or tribal high school, two daycare centers, new businesses, you know, that Presidential Medal of Freedom from Bill Clinton, all these different things I could talk about. But I'm pretty sure I'm probably already over my allotted time anyway. But there was one more thing that I really wanted to bring up, and it was in that same interview. And I wanted to put it out there because I thought it might give something for us to talk about and then also something for our listeners to kind of ponder about because I thought it was very interesting. So, for a large part of Cherokee history, it was matrilineal. It was run by women. The clanship was passed through the mother. It was mostly run by women. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But how... Did it take till 1985 for there to be a female chief of the Cherokee, right? And then this is actually what Wilma Wilma said in that interview that really got me thinking. And it's a longer quote, but I'm going to quote it the best I possibly can. She said, Cherokee began to accept the values of the society around us. And unfortunately, one of those values was sexism. And over time, women kept moving to the secondary role. And so by 1983, our own people were questioning if a woman could lead. And they were saying things like, well, if Wilma wins, we'll be the laughingstock of all the tribes because we'll have a woman in leadership. We forgot about the time in our history when there was a balance between men and women, a time when tribal decisions were made by both men and women. So I thought it was so telling how pervasive sexism is and how quickly (laughs) uh, it progressed. And then also how quickly it receded. We're talking 56% of the vote to 82. Like that's within like four years, you know what I mean? Of a landslide victory. So I'm sure a lot of this is credit to who she is, how she stands for herself, uh, the badass that she is. But it also says something about like working together and seeing somebody in charge that knows what they're doing, you know, being listened to, being seen. So I thought that was uh, really interesting. I wanted to see what your possible thoughts were on a microcosm of sexism for, you know, (laughs) throughout time. Oh,
2: colonialism is so disappointing. (laughs) isn't it though? (laughs) Oh my
0: goodness. I don't think it's worked for anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Very true.
2: (laughs) It's just depressing. And a lot of the parallels that you're talking about are things that have happened in South Dakota as well. Like how Mount Rushmore is on stolen land and our legislature is trying to get rid of native American history in the K-12 school system. And
0: (laughs) it's yeah. It was dibs. They were here first. <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: But they went and and shoot off uh, fireworks there during a drought a party for a particular person, <laughs> and yeah, start
2: during fires. those those protests, white people were yelling at the indigenous people to go back to their own country. Like oh, the this ignorance. This is why it
0: needs to be in K through <laughs> twelve, right?
2: And it's it's. <laughs> I'm gonna get kicked out of the state if I mention <laughs> that you know Indigenous people were here first, Native Americans. Like if you think about the the two words together, and, oh, the
0: blasphemy of truth. <laughs> oh
2: my goodness, it's it's very scary. And that I acknowledge that I have not heard of Loma Mankiller before, and it's Native American history, Indigenous history, is just missing from regular K twelve education, yeah. and it's Im- embarrassing and ridiculous Mm -hmm. i mean it's part of our history we should know this this weird colonialist imperialist march of magic democracy where none of us in this conversation would be considered people back then right exactly it's scary and i'm all
0: i was feisty when we
2: started (laughs) i know right (laughs) that's just a wonderful time to
0: be angry but in new and different ways
3: (laughs) It reminds me of a meme I saw. I started reading this thing and I was like getting angry, but it was like a a dude at the grocery store. Over here is this woman in front of her, in front of him or behind him or whatever. And she's not speaking English. And I'm like, oh my God, no. So like he turns to her and he's like, this is America. You need to speak English. She goes, that was Cherokee. If you want to speak English, go back to England.
0: <laughs> oh, exactly. Yes. Good. <laughs> You're like burned them. Got him. Good. <laughs>
1: well, I think unfortunately with the colonialism is uh, you put one group of people in power mm-hmm. and they're the people that are having the resources, the success,
3: right. um,
1: and you wanna emu- emulate that maybe because you want that kind of power, that kind of success. So maybe that's how they were so influential to erase that culture of having women in charge um, because you know the Native Americans had their culture crushed. Mm-hmm. And so it looked like the only way to prog- progress was become like the people that are taking their lands and stealing their culture away. So which is like them would, you mm-hmm. know, produce success. And so that's maybe why they forgot about their culture of uh, both sexes working together. Mm-hmm.
0: So and that's then,
1: incredible. It happened so quickly, though.
0: Yeah, right. The turnaround. Well, it's, it gives you hope almost as a certain, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it yeah. sucks. But there's hope there, maybe.
2: Right. And then I was going to ask, too, if you know this or not, Leah, was her mm-hmm. family affected by or had to survive the boarding schools or... Cause I know that yeah.
0: destroyed so much. They were taken out. Uh, they weren't schooled when they were living off the land. And then when they went to San Francisco, they were put in public schools, mm-hmm. but public schools, they described it as such a shock to the system because, you know, what is a toilet? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> like certain things, what is electricity? What do you mean turning the lights, you know, on and off? So they were so in a foreign land when they were all forcefully removed, basically, uh, to San Francisco, to the city. And a lot of them tried to run away (laughs) and go back. Um, So when her family was uh, relocated to San Francisco, they would have missed the forced boarding school, but that doesn't mean her ancestors and other relatives didn't go through something similar. Yeah. I was wondering
2: Um, if the people that were voting against her were the product of that forced colonization
0: with having to survive boarding schools. And it could be because definitely um, the Cherokee Nation, you know what I mean? That's going to be a vote that's going to be, you know, even wherever the Cherokee are to be able to vote. So, yeah, you're going to have different backgrounds and different, you know, experiences and different lenses that they've experienced. The one thing it reminds me of, too, has anybody seen the documentary Exterminate All the Brutes? Okay, it's harder than hell to watch. It's in, like, three parts, four parts. It's really, really hard. But it it talks mostly about African-American colonialization, where Americans our tra- colonizers are trying to exterminate the brutes in all the different countries, right? So, and it as you are watching this documentary it becomes very clear that they are exterminating the brutes but they themselves are the brutes. And so it is very much, um, you know what I mean? This, it reminds me of the Native American story too where it's like, you know, the we've become the oppressors <laughs> um, and yeah. Kind of lost my train of thought there but anyway exterminate the brutes is very hard to watch but i highly recommend it bonnie what were you gonna say <laughs>
3: oh, i was gonna say when you're, you're taking kids from a young age and pulling mm-hmm. them away from their culture and their language mm-hmm. and you're punishing them for trying to continue it and forcing them to assimilate to be you know like english white mm-hmm. christian whatever it's it's not that surprising that sexism would have gone along with that and that would be something they would have to unlearn because it's very much a patriarchal society
0: yeah it's kind of trying to destroy all the little elements and that would include the matrilineal uh way of it too so but i was happy that it could come back for a little time
1: (laughs) you know we're always, like, pretty, like, hippy-dippy at this house, but we've gone down a rabbit hole this summer that included um, barefoot shoes.
0: Oh, yeah. And so
1: Josh was, like, learning about why are our shoes the way they are? Mm. Um, and he was talking about how he read that most of our shoes are kind of pointed. You know, yeah. like, the Wicked Witch women's shoes, but all of our shoes, even, like, running shoes, they, like, narrow into the toe bed, right? Yeah. And how that can be traced back that it was started... When royalty used to ride horses everywhere because you wanted your um, shoe to fit in the stirrup, so to be able to um, slide in the stirrup to ride a, a horse, you had to have that narrow, that narrow part of your shoe. So um, when fashion became a thing and every, everybody wanted to emulate the wealthy, mm-hmm. that's how our shoes are, how they are now. So anyway, of course we buy big old shoes with lots of toe room <laughs> and that kind of stuff. But <laughs> I, mean, I think that's just like a tiny, tiny like, instance of how pervasive. Mm -hmm. Uh, a culture can be and especially if it's the culture in power and it's the culture that's oppressing
0: people yeah and it's kind of awakening of why do our shoes look like that and do they need to you know and then that you know it opens a glorious rabbit hole
1: why don't we include women listen to women Mm -hmm.
0: exactly (laughs) did we
2: (laughs) bonnie you said something about unlearning and then i realized you know you guys are you know kind of into books and stuff with a little bit library. with the whole library
0: thing yeah, yeah yeah and i
2: thought my book was within reach and i'm only, i'm almost done reading it but i still want to recommend it <sighs> yeah 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 it's potential history unlearning imperialism by ariella Ooh. aisha Azule. look at it's, that. it's hard to read it's is it hard, yeah
0: yeah yeah but yeah. it's
2: it's good and i picked it up because i was into the the history of museums yeah but it she weaves in so much like a lot of the topics we've been discussing and oh. it's like that reminds me of that book that reminds me of that book and then well, bonnie said good plug unlearning i'm like oh
0: unlearn what Where's you my learned. book
2: <laughs> yes, exactly. aid.
0: so I you can see my
2: bookmark it. i'm almost through it's really it's tough to yeah. read but it's important yeah and it's a lot to digest so there you I, go. I'd loan you my copy, but I, I'm a monster and I write my notes. In it's my not book. only that, but it's yours. We can get
0: our own. We're grown <laughs> peeps. We have a library. I know. Yeah. A library. <laughs> if someone
3: wants to donate it through yeah. Amazon.
0: This is very true. We have a charity wish list, or you can straight up just order it on Amazon and ship it to us at the library. So that works too. <laughs>
2: yeah. Whoever does that is an awesome, amazing, and very good looking person.
0: Oh, <laughs> nice. Yes. <laughs> absolutely we're gonna get 70 copies now <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> we'll love every single love one it. of them but good looking I like that, that? Mm-hmm. uh yes. the the last thing I wanted to share about Wilma Mankiller is that she knew when it was time to leave politics and she said quote when she started to sound like the people she used to protest against mm-hmm. I thought that was so deep. So I'm I'm Buddhist and a lot of the Buddhism that I study, it's the way to sum it up is to know your own face. It's kind of, it's very, it's very sad. It's a weird koan, but it's the idea of knowing who the hell you are, what your moral is and go, that's me. That's my own face. Now I'm going to put that aside and focus on all y'all. So knowing who you are allows you to separate yourself from everybody else, but you kind of have to like know your own face first. And when I read that, I'm like, holy crap, this woman knows her own face <laughs> and she can, she can observe and say, yeah. now it's time for the next generation. Now it's time, I have made my mark and I've now become the person that I hate because it's politics y'all. At the end of the day, we're talking politics. <laughs> <laughs> so she is an activist, but she became a politician and she even knew you know, um, that when it was time to go, she lived to be 64, by the way. And she, she died in 2010. So she didn't die all that long ago. Um, but she did a crap ton in 64 years. So I highly suggest her book. It's called man killer. (laughs) 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 Well, that wraps it up for us this week. Join us next week as our next gal pal shares her one cool activist gal as the guest podcast continues. Thanks for listening